0: My why was I wanted to be able to be there for my kids to be able to spend more time with them and make that business full time. So, starting there so that you can decide on what is your one thing that's going to move you forward the best.
1: Well, I'm super excited to have on the Unstoppable Woman podcast a guest here named jenny melrose she is the former reading specialist who retired herself from her teaching career when her blogging income far exceeded her salary which was a very interesting little data point for me i'm always looking for people who have done something extraordinary and really um made it in their lives and in their businesses in in unexpected ways and this seemed like a really great story to be able to tell people and i'm super excited to have her on she is now a content strategist that helps entrepreneurs better understand their messaging which is always amazing and unique position in their online space and she's combining her passion for teaching with her extensive experience for creating strategic content for online business owners at JennyMelrose.com. And her podcast, she has one of her own, is called Influencer Entrepreneurs with Jenny Melrose. So you can check her out there. So Jenny, I thought we could start with your story of being a teacher and blogging And what inspired you to start the blogging? And then how did you monetize it? What was the the process and the timeline for doing that? Because my audience is always interested in how to close the gap on time. Like, what did people do that I'm not doing, right? The, The audience, what am I not doing that other people are doing that's causing them success and is helping them close the gap on time, which you've done something extraordinary here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Of course well thank you first of all so much for having me on I appreciate it um so I let's see I started my lifestyle blog this could take a while no I promise it won't um about 10 to 11 years now um, where I create quick and easy recipes and projects at that time I had just had my six month old a uh, six month old and I had lost myself as a new mother I really didn't feel like I knew who I was anymore and started to create the blog to fill that need. So I started it off really as a hobby, kind of like a turns into a side hustle, and then I started to realize that I could make a full time income. I went to my first conference as a blogger, probably about six months to a year into it. I went to BlogHer in New York City, and at that time, BlogHer was ginormous conference. Um, there Reed Drummond was one of the speakers. Uh. The, Martha Stewart was one of the speakers. It was just huge. And of course, it was one of my first ones and it was 10 years ago. But I really started to see how people were able to monetize that influence. So I still continue to try to understand better how I could grow my audience because, of course, that's the first place you really have to start. You can't just out of the gate be able to make money if you don't know your people and your audience and what problem you're solving for those people. So as I really got clear on that and was able to put the time into it more, I was able to monetize from ad income, but also primarily from working on sponsored content with brands. Um, And I'm often asked a lot of questions about that because I was never a blogger that had celebrity status. I didn't have 100,000 followers. Um, I didn't even have 10,000 followers on Instagram. I was just... Someone that was able to really create content that told a story and connected with my audience. And the brands that I worked with wanted that connection. They wanted to better understand what my audience wanted. So probably about three years in, I was able to start to really, truly monetize using sponsored content.
1: I love it. I love it. So go back to that first conference that you went to is that there are some people in my audience who are just starting out and they're trying to figure out what they should do to invest in themselves and their business right now. And they, they, they have trouble deciding whether to do this or to do this. How did you know that you should go to that conference? How did you like, what was calling you? Why was that a yes? you, you had a six month old, right? Like you were, you were still a young mother. You could have said things like, I don't have time for this. I need to stay home with my family. I need to take care of X, Y, and Z first. What, what made it, because it seems like it was a really big turning point for you. What, what, if you could go back, what was that 10 years ago? If you could go back, you know, what made you go, I think oh, I want to go to won, that? And for yes, me it was definitely go.
0: the fact that it was close. <laughs> it wasn't for me. I, at that time, lived about an hour in New York City, so it was easy for me to hop on a train and go into the city um, to be part of this conference. But also back then, it, the information wasn't readily available like it is now you didn't have podcasts, you didn't have virtual summits, you didn't have all of this information that's out there. So the only thing that we had was conferences to go to in person. And the fact that it was an hour train ride into the city for me was a large part of it. I was also always kind of a, the blog had started because my husband, after I had had my daughter had said, you kind of, you need a hobby. You need to find something that you love that you're going to do. that's going to take your time because he had his hobby, which of course at that time was golf. Um, So for me, I not only was doing this at night and kind of like having something to feel like that was myself, but being able to go away and have that first trip away and it be business related That was the investment. That was what I needed. It was, and even then it was just kind of like, oh, it's a trip. It's a a weekend away. I can kind of do stuff, a little self-care for myself and do what I need to do. And then when I got there and met the women that I met and saw what they were doing, not only in their businesses, but for their families, that it was pivotal for me. They definitely changed the way that I looked at my business. I started treating it like a business. Because for the longest time, it was just a hobby. And that's the way I described it. But once I got there and left, I knew that I had to really push it and make it the business that I wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, that that certainly has been my experience when I've gone to events and seminars and conferences that... Part of the reason you go is to learn the subject matter or, or what the conference is about, and that obviously is additive and it grows you and expands you. But just to to be outside of your own little fishbowl and be able to see what other people are doing is so inspiring, and then it calls you to that next level. Right, and it takes you to that next level. And I know people say that we we hold an event called the Unstoppable Woman Income Breakthrough Summit, and people say that all the time about why they come back to it because they want that environment and that inspiration um, that you don't get when you're just in your your own little family bubble. So, okay, very interesting, very interesting. So, it took you about three years to start monetizing it. Can you talk about persistence? That is something that I'm really fascinated by. What allowed you to keep going? So I'm going to premise this by saying, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you would agree that it's not always smooth sailing, that there's going to be curveballs and uh, waves that you need to surf. and it's not it's not all rainbows and unicorns. So what kept you going? What were the hard parts for you? Why don't you like pull back the curtain a little bit and tell the audience, you know, what were the most challenging parts of starting this business, and then how did I think you the stick with it? How did you keep that the persistence I going?
0: I was trying to duct tape things together and figure out how I could do it all. And part of the issue was 10 years ago, there wasn't a ton of information out there on how to do it. And the information that was out there and the programs that we were able to use, I mean, we're talking 10 years ago before Pinterest, before Instagram. Like I feel like I'm totally making myself sound like a dinosaur here, but the programs that you used were very clunky and very different. So, I would would waste hours doing something on the tech side, which if I had known enough to hire out and had heard someone in my ear on a podcast saying, hire that out, you'll get your time back elsewhere, I would have moved my business so much quicker forward.
1: Yeah. So let's pause right there. How do you coach people on that? Because I remember, Jenny, I remember making buying decisions when I first started my business out, like, can I spend that $45? Like everything was, it was, it was huge. And I, I'm not belittling that or disparaging it. It was like, every buying decision was like, can I afford that? Is that going to be good value? Am I worth it? Am I going to make the return on investment? And it felt overwhelming. Like the, the amount of um, gravitas that every single buying decision had for me was just enormous, and and I knew before I could pull the trigger that I needed to hire an assistant and a virtual assistant. Um, but it it was such a challenging decision when I finally got to that place to to pull the trigger and do do that. How would you coach people on yes, that? now because this is this such a big deal for people
0: first with your vision. Where do you see this going? Why? What's the why behind what you're doing? And when I started for me, the why was I was working crazy hours and I had babies and I didn't get to see them because of my full-time job. I saw them maybe a total of two hours between getting them up and ready in the morning and then putting, coming home and doing dinner at night. My why was I wanted to be able to be there for my kids to be able to spend more time with them and make that business full time. So starting there so that you can decide on what is your one thing that's going to move you forward the fastest. What's the project? What is that thing that is going to bring income in? And therefore, if you're the one that needs to have your creative energy on that one thing, the other things that are off to the side that are the menial tasks are the things that are the lower priced items that you should hire off. Because the amount of time that you could be spent, that you will spend on those tasks that you're not ready or feel like you can't hire out yet is going to waste the amount of time that it would take you to actually get that big project done that's going to move you forward faster. So for me, that's what it is. I look at it as my time is more valuable doing the big creative things Whereas I can have someone do a $15 an hour task that I would have wasted three hours doing and could have been doing my project of what could be $500 an hour, whatever it might be at that
1: point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and is that your perspective now looking back or was that your perspective then? For me, I would say that's my perspective now, hundred percent. I can very easily say that. But when I was there, I, my mindset was not there yet. I, I, it was very hard for me to let go of the $15 an hour task for any number of reasons, which I can elaborate on, but how about you?
0: It's definitely largely a perspective now, because honestly, I feel like back then I didn't realize there were people, I didn't know how to get in contact with the people that could do those things. You know, now I feel like you pop into a Facebook group and you post about needing someone and you've got someone within like five minutes. But back then it wasn't so readily available. You didn't know who to reach out to. I can remember spending hours when my site crashed, had no idea that I could have hired someone or, fa- or how to find that person that isn't going to take my money and it actually be worth the money that I was going to spend. Um,
1: so, so that's a trust issue right there. Yes. Okay. I had big time trust issues, right? I could do it better myself. It it would be faster if I do it myself. How do I know that this person's going to do a good job, right? There were all sorts of trust issues that I had to work through um, when I was first starting to do this. So let's give people some resources right now, right off the bat. I always like to give people places that they can go. The place that I lead people to is upwork.com as a great resource for freelancers. Mm -hmm. And then there are a variety of different virtual assistant um, companies that you can source and find. Do you have a favorite or do you have a good place that people can look for uh, help?
0: I also use Upwork. Um, and then the other thing that I will often do is I will ask for references from friends that I know they're in a similar niche, that are using people similarly in the similar tasks or trying to move their business forward. Um, and then from there, even if it's a coach that I'm looking for, I'm going to go listen to, and if I'm going to hire a VA I'm going to get on and meet them and make sure that we do an interview and see that it's a good fit. I think a lot of times people now get frustrated when they spend money in places and then it doesn't result in anything, but they haven't actually done their due diligence to know that person and have an interview or listen to their content, whatever it might be.
1: Absolutely. And Google is your friend there, people. If you've never, if you've never interviewed someone or you don't know the things to ask, the the first 10 years of my business was google was my best friend how do you blah 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 right and and you can really there there's there's absolutely zero excuse obviously a coach we're both coaches coaches can shortcut this can help you um really fast track things like this but in lieu of that if you're stuck I just want to give everyone like, just ask Google, like it's the, the fastest way you can find almost em- anything and don't give up, like just ask a different question until you get to the, the place that you, you need to, to be so that you can take 100% responsibility, which is what you're saying here. It's like, you don't just say, oh, I hired someone and they were, they fell down, right? Well, did you do the due diligence in terms of making sure that they were a really good fit for the position? And from my perspective, Jenny, there is tactical outer game, pro con lists, like, do, do they check the boxes here fit? And then there's like my gut reaction to someone. And that is, I have to say, you know, I don't even look at gut reaction if they don't check the boxes, but someone can have those boxes checked. And my gut says no. And I've learned the hard way that you have to listen to, to your gut. Have you had similar exper- experiences like that?
0: Yes. Absolutely. No, and I think you're right with checking those boxes. You can't even get a gut feeling when they don't check those boxes. But there's definitely been people that have made a huge difference in my business when I've hired them. And I had that kind of feeling right away, immediately the first email that they sent or first response that they sent to um, a you know request, whatever it might be, uh, that it definitely
1: made a huge difference. Absolutely. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you need to be you know, investing money, right? We're talking about that right now, investing in your business, investing money, investing in the time to go to the conferences, things like that. Um, And there's risk involved in that. Have you always been a risk taker? Has that increased over time as you have uh, gotten more solid in your own business?
0: I think I've always been a risk taker, but in the same breath, I would say I've always also been an introvert. So doing conferences, going these places, putting myself out there, it just goes very much against my personality. So it's definitely something that I have to build myself up towards, Um, but I will take and head first leap into trying something new. I think for sure, whether it's going to a conference or whether it's trying a new product or project, um, I am one to be, I'm not going to be afraid by it because I always feel the failures that I have made are what has built my business. Uh, no matter what the failure is, I've learned from it and then come back and been able to build my business stronger from it.
1: That's great. That's great. So one, you know, the, My brand is the unstoppable woman, right? So I'm curious to know for you, you know, 2020 hindsight, looking back at the last 10 years of your, your business and your career, what have been the things that have stopped you the most? Like clearly you kept going, there's been persistence there. Like you wouldn't have gotten to where you've gotten to without that. But if you're looking back and you have the benefit of hindsight Where do you think you stopped longer than you needed to? Like now, it seems so obvious. Like, if I had just done that or looked at it that way or had this mindset perspective, I would have moved through that so much quicker.
0: I think that it's hard to pinpoint that. I just feel because I'm one of those people that I truly believe that the path that I've taken is my path. And yes, there were definitely things I could have moved me faster about, but I've learned the same lesson if I had. So as much as I would say that I could have hired faster, I definitely could have fired faster.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, right, right.
0: Um, but I do think that that was part of my journey and like how I now approach my business. I think there's also been times where we've had things that have happened personally, whether it's been 2020 in general with COVID um, or if it's been like an illness in family or whatever it might be, reevaluating my goals and understanding where my why is where I'm really trying to go is normally what puts me back in line. Um, And I think that it's the the self-reflection that it sometimes has to happen that can make really that difference. And I think sometimes I didn't always self-reflect. That's probably something I would fix, as I didn't always look back and go, well, why did that happen? Or why, how do I feel this way? And how can I fix it? I often just kind of like went, put my head down and had my blinders on and just did my thing. Where if I had taken the time to self-reflect, maybe I would have moved ahead quicker and pivoted sooner, whatever it might be.
1: I think that's a really important one to look at. So. So for me, I would say that, that that's the law of cause and effect, right? Like really understanding in that moment, okay, this is what the result I'm getting, what caused this so I can do it differently, right? The next time. I love that. I love that. And I I'm with you in terms of, you know, the journey is the journey. The path is the path, zero regrets, right? I wouldn't do anything differently because that's, that's led me to where I am now. And I love my life. And, um, it's not always perfect and rainbows and unicorns, but I love my life. Right? right. That said, I can look back and I can say, wow, I really resisted speaking on stages for way too long. Like I can see the places where I got in my own way. Right. Yeah. Or, um, there's many of those places. If, if you want a list, please ask me. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but I think it's really interesting to, to, look back and, and see, Oh yeah, that was, that was a visibility issue. That was a fear of rejection issue. That was me. Even though I was, I'm, I'm like you, I'm actually an introvert in a lot of ways. It doesn't always read that way because I I like having like, I'm not an introvert in a one-on-one conversation with you. And I'm not intro- an introvert when I'm actually on stage. I, I love that. But I am an introvert in a large group of people at a conference where I'm not on stage. I don't know where to focus. I just want to have that deep, intimate conversation with, with someone. Right. So yeah. um, absolutely. Anyways, I got, I went on a tangent there, but. No, um,
0: that's it's totally true. And I think the one thing that I guess I could say that business wise, I should have paid more attention to faster was my email list. I think I didn't totally understand the value of that. And I think that if there's one thing strategically that I would say people need to move on before you even worry about social media, grow your email list, figure out. A way and, you, to and, something.
1: and you think that's still true, you know, t- 2020.
0: Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent makes a huge difference for me.
1: Yeah. Email's not dead. No, definitely not.
0: I mean, there's definitely other ways to communicate and I love Instagram stories and I definitely feel like I have direct contact with my people that way. But my email list is what drives, you know, new people knowing about the podcast episodes or when there is a book release or if there's a new product that comes out. It's my list that buys. Those are the people that have just, you know, they're with me for the long haul.
1: Yeah, love it, love it. And why do you think they're with you? Like what do you think they are attracted to about you. This is like an underhanded pitch. Like what makes you fabulous? What, why Why is your audience a raving fan audience?
0: Yes. Uh, and it goes right to positioning, right? Uh, for me, it's the fact that I'm a former teacher and I am very strategic in the way that I teach. I'm not going to skip around and you have a hard time of following where I'm trying to bring you. We're going to be able to get from step A all the way to step C. We're not going to skip anything in between. We're going to be strategic and move you towards that. Um, being a teacher, I understand people learn differently and can normally give multiple examples and explain different ways that people can understand what I'm trying to get them to be able to under to do in their business. Um, so it's definitely, it's that teacher in me. I'm very much Here's your homework. Go do it. Let's meet back and regroup and be able to move forward. So
1: I love it. I love it. So your podcast is influencer entrepreneurs with Jenny Melrose. And so my next question is how do you define influencer?
0: Yes. Such a good question. Um, an influencer to me is someone that will have, be able to sway your opinion on something, whether, and I'm not necessarily talking politics here. It could very well be, but it's normally going to be something that you are going to see them and want to be able to use the products and services that they're talking about. An influencer is just someone that just naturally you kind of are gravitate towards, you're attracted to, and then whatever products or services they are talking about, you end up wanting to learn more about. Not necessarily buy, but want to learn more about and see if it'll be a good fit for you. And then that entrepreneur part is taking that influence and turning it into a business and thinking of yourself as that business owner.
1: Right. Monetizing that, that influence. So what do you think builds the most influence for people? Platform wise or concept? Mm, Concept wise, uh, how they're showing up, what they're actually doing. I mean, there's so many different platforms, pick your platform, but you can answer it platform wise too. I'd be interested in your opinion on that.
0: Um, I would definitely say authenticity. The way that they come across and the way that they connect with people and how much they're willing to share and what they're not necessarily willing to share, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the authenticity piece is definitely what brings, I think, the most connection for people and is how they're going to move it forward. And then platform-wise... I would definitely say Instagram stories. I think it's the fastest way to be your authentic self, show the background, show what's actually happening um, without, of course, making people uncomfortable, but still giving them that opportunity to engage with you and teaching them how to interact with you using stories. It's the fastest way to be able to really get to know who's watching and who's not.
1: Great. And what do you think people miss the most with Instagram stories? Like what, if you could give someone like, you know, nine... People out of 10 miss doing X with Instagram stories and it's a freaking game changer. What would that thing be?
0: Um, actually summarizing what you're saying using the text feature because 75% of users on Instagram stories do not turn their sound on. So if you are just talking to the phone and you're not using the text feature to summarize what you're saying, they're going past you or they're not getting the information at all. And the only other thing I would definitely add is use the features. Use that poll feature. The poll feature is the easiest way to really see how your audience is going to interact with you. What are they thinking? Um, And then being able to continue that conversation in direct messages because now you can see how people voted on your poll. When you get into someone's direct messages, it directly affects that algorithm and how often you show up in Instagram and in the feed.
1: That's very interesting. Okay. So, part of my business model is helping people really achieve their next level goals and and do what they think is impossible in a shorter period of time. Like make the impossible possible and do it quicker, close the gap on time. So, given that you have had the success in your business, do you have your next big goal and how do you approach closing the gap on time towards that goal? Such a good question.
0: And honestly, I feel it changes. It varies what that goal is. Um, I've seen my business kind of have to pivot and shift. We also did an in-person conference and it was scheduled for April 1st. And as many of us know, we set everything down mid-March. Um, so after playing an event for a year, we had to quickly pivot and in two weeks, turn it into a virtual event with people who were flying from around the country. Um, and I think that I've really had to take a look again at my business, even as we continue to move forward and see where it is I want to go. Uh, a big part of that for me was having my first book written. It came out May 1st. Uh, that was a long-term goal for me was to actually get the my book that I wanted out there for people to be able to move their businesses forward. I think ultimately for me, it's really about reaching as many people as I can so that the young girls that are in their lives, the people that I'm helping can see that there isn't a glass ceiling. That for me is really the vision of my business now is that just being able to reach as many people as possible so those girls can really truly see that they can make a difference and they can do whatever they want. Uh, I didn't grow up that way and I didn't see those types of things. And I think that being able to be part of that now is ultimately my real huge goal for what I want.
1: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I love that. So it's really about impact now if I'm hearing you correctly. yes. Yeah. So that's great. I love it. Um, Give us a glimpse. I have a, a program called the Morning Mindset Club and that came out of people constantly asking me about what my morning routine was. And I believe that it's important to set your day up for success. And I have particular practices that I go through and I'm always curious about what other people's morning routines are, and I know my audience is. So I'm going to ask you, like, do you, do you do the same thing every morning? Do you have a routine or do does it fluctuate? How do you set yourself up for success?
0: So I'm going to give you a morning routine from nine months ago and now a morning routine now, because they are two very different things that we are looking at, of course, especially if you have kids right now. Um, Prior to COVID, when nine months, uh, where kids were not home and kids were going to school, my morning routine was I walked my girls to school in the morning and then I worked out myself. And then I did a meditation um, directly after working out. Then I got myself all centered, ready to go, had my affirmations, and then knew exactly what my tasks were moving forward. Um, now that has changed a little bit, I still continue to work out in the morning, but there's not as much time between homeschooling and trying to continue to meet the needs of my clients during times when they're available. So, my morning routine right now, honestly, is smoothie, uh, working out, and then getting to my desk prior to my first call. <laughs> <laughs> a bit. We're hoping to get back to more of a routine. um But I think that that's also people's seasons. Like, what season are you in? And, you know, if I had a toddler or newborn, it's going to look very different compared to now that I have elementary age kids. And of course, I know with a lot of people right now, their kids are home. They're not, they're virtual schooling and, or they're working from home and trying to do a side hustle themselves. It's, you got to pivot and you make time for that self care when you can.
1: Yeah. Did you have to do some internal, uh, self-talk around letting go of the, the standards, if you will, that you had before for your, for yourself? Yeah. What did that look like?
0: No, it was definitely, um, (laughs) there were definitely times where there were days where I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to survive. Um, And I think with each new kind of like passing that has happened, whether it was, they were going virtual in end of the school year. And then of course we went to summer. So everything kind of changed again. Um, And now we're in the fall and we're back to school sort of. Um, So it's like a new transition each time and trying to decide What is going to help me feel the most balanced and ready to be able to give my best to my clients? Some of these looks better than others. um, But trying to get that routine down is definitely was
1: important. Yeah, absolutely. So you are a content creator, right? You are doing lots on Instagram. You're doing lots on your blog, I assume. And you have this podcast. How do you actually like to consume content? What is... What is your behind the scenes, not what you put out, but like, how do you like to consume content?
0: I love podcasts. I love the fact that it's easy enough that I can pop it in my ears or I can throw it on in the car. Um, I definitely consume more content through podcasts than anywhere else. Um, it's just the easiest way. I think I just not as much commitment and it's easy to just kind of consume as much as possible within a time frame.
1: Yeah. And what kind of podcasts do you love, like to listen to? Is it, are they tactical podcasts or are they uh, pe- personal stories from people? Who, who are you attracted to at this point?
0: I still continue to listen to um, business podcasts. I love them. I have always been a listener of Amy Porterfield's, just love the strategies and texts and techniques that she teaches. Um, and I mean, I, there's so many different podcasts that I have in there just arrayed from anything that's going to be the money mindset or whether it's going to be tactical Instagram with Jasmine star, whatever it might be. Um, I do, I love all the different podcasts and what they can bring to the table.
1: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So what would you say if people asked you today in 2020, would you, tell them, yes, start a blog?
0: I would. And I would also probably preface that with, if you were going to start a blog, I might also start a podcast at the same time. And
1: that was my next question.
0: (laughs) I would reuse that content and make that the blog. So in other words, for me, it's easier just to talk, right? And I can have some team I can hire out to be able to edit the podcast, the audio. Um, But then I'm also going to turn that audio into a full blog post so that I have that content. So I'm not reworking everything every time. And then I can also use that on Instagram, on Facebook, whatever else. But I think, yes, definitely having that blog is important, I think as well.
1: So we transcribe the the podcasts that my, my teaching aspect of the podcast, and then we pull out snippets for social media. And do you take the full transcription and, and rework it and put it into a written blog post? Or do you just put, post the uh, audio file?
0: We um, actually take the, we don't use the entire transcription. It's turned more into a podcast. So it doesn't seem so transcription-y like two minutes here or yeah. two there. Um, But I also do like keyword research ahead of time for anyone that I'm going to interview so that I make sure that if I'm having a blog post, I want to come up in Google. Um, so I'm doing that work ahead of time and making sure that the content that we are going to put together for the blog post is going to be found by those that may not listen to podcasts.
1: Yeah. Super smart. Super smart there to do SEO. I love that. Um, so what do you, what do you think that there's, is there something that you don't think you're good at and how did you work around that? So obviously there's something that you're not that good at. Okay. We all have those things. So let me ask the question in a different way. What's one thing that you're, you don't think you're good at that you've actually found a really good workaround for And how did you go about finding that workaround?
0: Um, I would say when it comes to things that I don't enjoy doing, I normally try to hand them off. I normally will try to hire. Um, Graphic design for me is definitely one of them. It is not a strength of mine. I do not have an eye for it. Um, So being able to hire that off and hand that off to someone else to kind of understand what the branding is using my website as kind of like the background, the backdrop of what to apply it towards and what it should kind of look like. Um, But then being able to hire someone to just kind of take that off of my plate and give me that space to still be creative in my own way.
1: Yeah. So really for you, it comes down to do I like doing this or do I not like doing this?
0: Yes, absolutely. And is it more time than it would someone else to do it? So,
1: now are there things in your business that you don't like to do and you do anyways?
0: Um, probably. I. Right now, I would say a lot of things I've kind of tried to hand off so that it's not part of my plate and what I need to get done. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's anything right now that I'm doing that I don't like. There's definitely tech things. Like I did a webinar this morning where I the the tech just was a nightmare, um, but wasn't something that I could necessarily hand off. It was the first time using a new product, so it was me to have to figure it out. Uh, So I guess there's things like that for sure, trying out new software and new products, but it still has to be from my voice.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I find personally that I I iterate on that so quickly that if I had been asked that question, I'm not sure that I would be able to answer it either. Because when something is challenging in the business, I'm constantly looking at how do I solve for that? and And I do that immediately so that if, if it is something that I have to do, I'm solving for the internal game, which is, okay, how do I, how do I step up and do this with the best possible attitude? Right. And, and it's go time. Come on, this is my business. Let's go. And if it's not my job right now, like I really can hand it off to people and I'm constantly firing myself up, right? Like that's not my job. That's not my job. That's not my job. You know, I'm, I'm looking to really do that as quickly as possible so that I stay in that place of delight and not frustration. And yes, I feel the tech issues as well. Always, right? Always. And it always. Can we just talk about tech for a moment? Let's just have a moment to talk about tech. Cause I think, I think this is so important. I want to like, just pull back the curtain for people. Like tech is always going to be an issue. We love it. It solves so many problems. It's so amazing in our lives that we can do all these things. And Every time you try something new and even when it's existing, there are challenges. And and I think that was one of the things I did not know when I was first starting out was that's par for the course. That is not the exception to the rule. And you have to figure out how to manage yourself around it because it's just going to happen. Right. I mean, yeah. it happened to you today. It happened to me today. Right. Like, and yeah. we've been at this for a while. So.
0: And it's not going to, I mean, I'm not going to say that it didn't drive up my blood pressure and I didn't want to like go in the corner of the room and cry that I just did an hour webinar and it didn't record and no one saw it. Um, But it was, what's the next best thing? What's the solution? How can we move forward with this? And I think a lot of times people will want to hand off new tech, whether it's email software or whether it is landing pages. But I think then it becomes an issue because you don't know how to do any of it. You have to actually sometimes get in there and understand how a product works, especially if it's vital to your business, like an email software, um, like landing pages very well could be for your sales pages. So sometimes it is going to be valuable to work through it so that then you can teach someone else and your team how to do it and hand it off so that you don't have to deal with it anymore. But you do have to have some understanding of what's going on rather than just simply take it off my plate. You take it over. Cause what happens if they leave?
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, hopefully you have an operations manual and you have right. like, <laughs> project management and flow and things like that, some sure. kind of documentation. But I know that now because I didn't always right. you learn along the way, you know, Jenny, I would agree. And I would disagree with what you just said. Like there's a part of me that knows. So I had, I a hundred percent agree from this perspective, when I was first starting my business, I had to get my hands dirty. I needed to learn how to do things so that I could understand the big picture also, not just the tech, but understood how everything worked together. Because when you're in business for yourself, you are in sales for yourself and you're in marketing for yourself. And you have to understand both of those lanes in your business. And if you don't understand how the tech works, you can't then make a good marketing decision. Cause you don't know what else it can do or how to think about how it all works together. Then I got to a certain place in my business where there are things that I don't know in the tech side, in the marketing side, in the, the app side and the software side, because I have a team now that's like evaluating that and getting their hands dirty. But I know enough from so there's many things I have no clue if they broke how I would fix in my business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I I will readily admit to that, which didn't used to be the case years ago. I would know exactly how to, you know, troubleshoot everything. And I was on the phone with customer support and I was the one doing, doing all that. But now I would say that having gone through that experience of having to know everything and figure it out and get my hands dirty, that it's, even though I don't know how to do those things anymore, the new things that we've added, I now have the, the marketing understanding, the, the overview perspective, that then I can ask the right questions of my team. So I think that that is how I would look at that evolution. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sort of depends where you're at in your business to, to there's a discernment question there about like how involved you need to be when you start using a new product or service.
0: Yeah. No, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So is there any last, um, tidbit of advice that you would give our audience around how to become an influencer? Um,
0: I would say definitely try to figure out as best you can the problem that you solved for your audience. You have to know that. Whether you're starting off from scratch or you've been in it for three, five years, you have to know what the problem is. And if you're going to pivot from what you've been doing for three years to know that you're going to have to build up that new audience in that problem that you're looking to now solve for them. I've watched a lot of clients who have Had this large following because they provided, let's say, they were food bloggers and provided great recipes, and then they decided, you know what, I really want to talk about a meal system for vegan bloggers for vegan um, households. And the problem is, is, they were that audience was so used to just getting recipes. They did want the meal system, but they didn't understand why she was talking about it. So it's a transition to make that pivot and it's going to take a little bit of time to do it, but it can be done. Just know the problem that you're looking to solve for your audience first and foremost.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay. Before I ask my last question, where can people find you?
0: Uh, the best place, honestly, to get quick answers and ask me any questions is Instagram. You can just DM me at Jenny underscore Melrose. And then I also have my podcast, Influencer Entrepreneurs with Jenny Melrose. Uh, we've had that for over two years. You'll actually be a guest very soon on the podcast, which I'm excited about. Um, so yeah, that those are probably the best places. And just JennyMelrose.com is the website that has houses everything.
1: Fabulous. I love it. I love it. So everyone go check her out on Instagram and on her podcast. And then my final question for you, Jenny, is what makes you an unstoppable woman?
0: I would say makes me an unstoppable woman would be perseverance. I am one that, like I kind of said, and even in the interview, I will fail. But be able to figure out how to get myself off, dust myself off, learn from that failure, and continue to move forward. Um, there, like you said in the in, during the interview, being an entrepreneur is not all rainbows and unicorns. It is going to be some failures, and you are going to have times where you feel like you're on a roller coaster, you're going to hit rock bottom, be like, "What in the world am I doing?" Uh, it's a matter of persevering and being able to continue to move forward. I think it's really what has made
1: me successful. I love it. It's such a big deal. It's, it's like one of the key elements of success because there is always going to be temporary defeat, but it's only a failure if you quit. So perseverance, perseverance is huge. Awesome. Love that answer. So thank you so much for being here, Jenny. It's been a blast. I appreciate all the generous, generous, answers you gave and actionable content everyone check her out on her instagram channel and on her podcast and that's a wrap go slay the day and be unstoppable hey there my friend do you resonate with what you just heard then head over to our free resource page and get more of our good stuff including our free unstoppable woman playbook and money breakthrough system you'll find that and more at theunstoppablewoman.com slash free Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and I'll see you in the next episode.